1: Hey guys, welcome to Cozy Womb Podcast. My name is Shan, mama of the girls. This is season four. Um, This series will be primarily just about women who are out here just doing it up. And when I say doing it up, doing it in their own way, running their businesses, uh, not momming the traditional way, not uh, working the traditional way, just really out here cutting their own uh, pattern as to who they want to be and what they want to become. So this series is primarily about, uh, you know, great women who are among us and just really picking their minds and seeing what their why is. I'm very interested in what women today why is as to what they do why they do it um how do they feel while they do it and really just representing and shouting out other women so that's what this series is welcome to cozy one podcast let's get into it wait 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 before we get into this episode let's show some support let's go have you ever heard of hey black mom It's a brand and website dedicated to making Black mothers feel informed, inspired, safe, entertained, heard, and empowered through a global space of sharing. Telling stories and sharing narratives that the ever complex melanin mommy can relate to. Hey Black Mom offers a platform for their voices to be exclaimed and applauded. Hey Black Mom was created by Jessica Jackson, a recovering sports journalist with a passion for words and stories. When she had her first child in 2016, her energy shifted and created HeyBlackMom.com. There, content ranges from columns about the dark side of motherhood, coronavirus, her- human interest pieces such as the story of a mom and kidney failure fighting for her life, and features about Black business, guest commentary, event coverage, and more. Visit the website to find out additional information about what Jessica is doing for us through storytelling. Be sure to subscribe to the email list. And while you're there, check out Hey Black Mom on social at Hey Black Mom. Jessica is passionate about the space she created and continues to develop and hope you will be too. Thanks for checking out Hey Black Mom. Now back to the show back to the show back to the show um, greatest women and the women that are out here really making a difference and going against the grain and today i have a guest crystal Tanil. she is a creative outlet she is a woman of many hats she directs she does a podcast then black mamas you guys should check out she's a writer For she's a director sure. And she's a doula mama and also a mama mama. And I just want to pick her brain and I want you guys <laughs> to hear the things that I pick her brain about. So, welcome, Crystal Tennille. Thank you. It's Crystal Tennille Irby.
2: Irby, yes. Add yes. that in there a little flavor for you. Yeah. You My this? last name is like very important to me. Um, um, my father had a son, but he doesn't have his last name, and so, oh. um, it's like the last of, you know, so, uh, that's one of the reasons why I kept my name,
1: right. um,
2: after I got married, so it means a lot to me.
1: I like it. There's strength
2: in the name. Yeah. So tell us about yourself. Um, oh, that's always such a hard question for me. <laughs> um. there's so much, you know, I feel like I've lived, um, a very interesting life, a very good life, um, uh, pretty much on my own terms. Um, so whenever someone's like, tell me about yourself, I'm always like, "I did are headlights. <laughs> um, but I guess I'll start, you know, I'm a Southern girl, like no doubt I'm a Southern girl. And the reason that I learned that is because I spent, um, much of my adulthood outside of the South. So I was born and raised in South Carolina and um, went to college at Florida State for four years, graduated from there, lived in Atlanta for a year, and then moved to LA for eight years. So, um, you know, South, Florida is the South, but I don't feel like it's like the South proper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Tallahassee is northern florida which is basically southern georgia mm-hmm. so you feel a little bit of the south there but like the deeper you go into florida the less it feels like the south you know what i'm saying yeah. so that was like a nice mix um but that was really the first place where honestly i met black folks whose parents weren't born in the united states i was like Why your mom and daddy from here
1: what you weren't born
2: here? <laughs> um so that really just like opened my mind and really um that was the place where I think I I always knew that I was black like my mom is like super black and like never let me forget that but that was when I really began to understand my culture in like an organized um, sort of way um, and so and, and really began to understand like what it means to be a black southern person right what age were
1: you when you felt that
2: Um the exact age was I was um eighteen years old and I took a class called Psychology of the African American, taught by Dr. Naeem Akbar, um, who's like a renowned psychologist and um uh black, you know, professor, like esteemed black professor and well known in academia. Um and he taught one class once a week at Florida State and that was psychology of the African-American um that's like how in demand he was like all over the country and everything all all over the world actually um and when I tell people um you know when I would tell people yeah I took this class psychology of the African-American taught by um this professor named Naeem Akbar be like what and I'm like okay (laughs) i didn't know it was like that but it was really interesting because all of his books are written on an eighth grade level but they're really like um they really gave me an understanding of black culture like never before not just black history but like like i said black culture like as a thing like blackness as this organized intentional thing that should be embraced um and also gave helped me understand systemic and institutional oppression which graduated from high school, I was like, people are shades of gray and racism yeah. is just an isolated, it's just isolated incidents. And, yeah. you know, I was just very, so just didn't understand it. You know what I mean? Looking back, I can see that my mother was trying to teach me, but she was working against a very powerful system that I was being educated in but um so I, I so that's definitely when i came into my blackness was definitely at florida state and when i moved to la is when i got in touch with my southernness like i i realized like oh okay you're a southerner
1: and which is ironic actually, because la is west coast and it's kind of like what do you mean you're your
2: southern yeah like well being out of the south helped me realize that i was a southerner like i didn't identify as a southerner when i was was like you know i'm black like we black (laughs) Like, white people are southerners you know what i'm saying but being out of the south um longing for home like the part of la that i was in like had a lot of concrete you know um and very you know la is very tight And I was used to space and grass and trees and seasons, you know what I mean? And like feeling within myself like this sort of loneliness, but having friends and not really understanding what that loneliness was rooted in. And it was really rooted in land and geography. Like, oh, I feel like I can't breathe here. I have to get out of the city every couple of months. Oh. I miss the South. I miss openness. I miss land. I miss humidity. I miss seasons. I miss twanging tongues, you know? Um, and I mean, that's sort of an oxymoron for a black person because, you know, the South, um, is where most of us were brought into this country. And so there's, but, but it's also like, Probably been the most heinous to black people, so mm-hmm. it 's sort of like an oxymoron as a black person to love it, yeah. but living in l a you know I realized like I did, and that i the stories that I wanted to tell um, were mm-hmm. southern stories because getting outside of the South, you realize like how people see black southerners, mm-hmm. and it 's like oh that 's how you see us, but you don 't get it like you don 't understand yeah. um, who we are, and you have like this one dimensional idea of who we are because we're being portrayed through a white lens. Um and so that just gave me a hunger to tell our stories. Uh more and to just have such a great appreciation um for being raised in the south, which if you would have asked me when I was in high school, I mean my goal was to like get out as fast. Like as to possible. get out, and get away, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, you know, and so now you know living in LA just gave me a great appreciation for that and LA is really interesting because so many people have southern roots there you Mm know like oh I got well California in general like I feel like there's a direct line from like New Orleans to the bay
3: you know what I mean
2: or like from Texas to LA like everybody has like these southern roots um there they're like maybe one or two generations like oh my grandmother was from the south or you know like they have roots um in the south um so yeah so that's sort of I guess my story or about myself
1: is uh, your love of the self what got you into directing and
2: you know no that actually came it's really interesting how that came about so um, for most of my life I was told that I would make it not most of my life but most of my childhood I was told that I'd make a great lawyer um <laughs> you
1: like to argue. <laughs>
2: no because I was a good writer I was smart
1: yeah
2: and um I could give a good speech like I had the best Easter speeches I did the welcome at church you know what I'm saying so it's like oh you know you could be a lawyer you know and um I had opinions about things but I'm the youngest of four kids so I respect the birth order. So I don't know if I argued a lot, I would would say definitely not with my siblings. Um, but you know, I could just, I I think that was the thing. It was like, Oh, you know, she can, you know, she can do the welcome. She gives a great speech lawyer, you know? And, um, so that's what I thought I was going to be until, uh, ninth grade. When um, it was ninth or tenth grade, whenever um, the Rodney King riots happened—not uh, yeah. Rodney King riots, but whenever the LA riots
1: happened—and
2: Yeah. And, um, oh. as a result of uh, the police being acquitted, um, the police who beat Rodney King—and I remember, like my sister was watching it on TV, and I was I was taking a nap on the couch, and I remember waking up and was like, are you watching a movie, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, no, there are riots in LA because the police who um, beat Rodney King got acquitted. And I was like, what? And it looked like a movie to me. And I had never felt, and I think that's sort of when things started clicking with me in terms of race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it wasn't till much later that I put it all together and i remember thinking in that moment like you know lawyers are supposed to be for justice like they're supposed to be for justice they're supposed to fight for us they're supposed to win you know perry i was a perry mason fan like perry mason always made the person confess like you know and i felt like oh the criminal justice system fails and lawyers fail and and there's a whole and that's when people began to talk about like a whole system at play like these, like, you know, the DAs and, you know, the defense attorneys, like, no, it's a system. It's not like these, it's not good. It's not the lawyers are the good guys and yeah. the people who commit crimes are the bad guys. It's not like that. And I began to understand that And it was like, Oh, I, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. But what caught my eye or what I remember was thinking that it was a movie that I was watching and how, that transformed me, like that visual in that instant transformed me. And just began to think about over my life, like when I would see things, when when I, the way that I learned things was in such a theatrical way. Like I would see a movie and it would spark my interest in history or I would watch a documentary and I wanna know more about a person. And it was like, oh no, that's what I wanna do. I I wanna I wanna trigger people in that way, in the way that a, that scenes trigger me, and so that's where my love for film and um, acting
1: began. Yeah, that makes sense. I, anytime I see that, you know, that beating that he got from those policemen, yeah, in documentaries are just you know people talking about it. It's a reminder that it doesn't matter how much evidence you have, so much in your faceness. Yeah, yeah. there is a system of ignorance, ignorance will win. And that system that you want to be a part of is, you know, maybe there's not even,
2: I don't even know if, I mean, I I wouldn't even blame it on ignorance because ignorance seems kind of unintentional like no like this is an intentional mm-hmm. system like it's, yeah. it's intentional it's very flexible it's not yeah. very creative but it's extremely flexible mm-hmm. in how it can fit into spaces even when we think things have prog- progressed it's like oh yeah. no I just have to like shift my body I have to just shift my system to fit into yeah. your progress this way and boom here I am again white supremacy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so I, I, I think you're right in terms of like, it seems like that always prevails, but, but, but what's important is the documentation, right? Like, because with the documentation, we can say there was an injustice. But if we didn't have the documentation, we wouldn't be able to say that. And so that's why being a creative is so important to me, because I think the document like, I mean, we know that there was police brutality before Rodney King, right? Like right. we know that, but having it documented, or, or or having it visually documented in that way, was just, you, you know, because uh, uh, America needs that. Like we have to see it in order to for it to be real. Someone just can't tell you that this happened to me. Like right. we have, we we are people who need, you know. Um, documentation i got the opportunity to meet elaine brown once and if you've ever listened to the podcast you know i try to fit this in to every conversation elaine brown Yeah. when i met her this is a life-changing moment for me but she said to us um we were talking about the civil rights movement and like oh you know like we wish we was like back in the civil rights movement this is like in the early 2000s right like, oh we wish we was back in the civil rights movement where people care we can't get people to come to black student union meetings and like care and protest and And i don't know what we was protesting in the 90s in la but whatever so um and she said you know um, you know, we were like, you know, we we want a real movement like you had, and she said, "Well, your movement ain't here yet." And we was like, "What? We got no movement?" And she was <laughs> like, "She was, she said, "Movements happen when when technology collides with a movement that's already been in action. That's that's not, she didn't say that's what moves. She said that's what movements are catapulted," and she began to show us like the civil rights movement was 20 years in the making but what happened was television came along and television took those images of children being hosed with fire hoses by by state officials firemen and police and took those images all around the world showing America as a fraud and that catapulted the civil rights movement and it was new the government had didn't know how to control tv yet Mm -hmm. and so that's what catapulted their movement was a piece of technology came along that that could be used to take images all around the world or take information all around the world and the government hadn't figured out how to control it yet Mm -hmm. and she said so you can have a movement that's twenty years in the making, but it won't be catapulted, it won't be ignited until a piece of technology comes along to do that. And so, when she said that in the early two thousands, we was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, so you know, I mean, y'all just keep working, but you know, not even cat. You know, y'all just keep working." It's
1: <laughs> so, like, okay. Yeah.
2: And she said, and we were like, "Well, what do you think that piece of technology is?" And it's so interesting because, without hesitation, she said, "It's going to happen on the internet." going to be a piece of technology on the internet because the government doesn't know how to control it yet and social media was that piece of technology that catapulted the movement era that we're in now right and so whenever I I I think about like uh, my work as a creative I'm like yeah you, you have to document that stuff because that's the piece that's the piece that catapults the movement that you know documentation is what catapults
1: the movement Hmm. you know what I always wonder with you know people who produce or direct things is how do you pick the stories to share because I think so many different cultures have so many stories to tell and so many uh, great achievements that you always capture uh cinema and movies after movies making the same story over and over again yeah. in this perspective but there's a ch- i feel like there's a chunk of stories that are not being told about yeah three inventors scientists uh women men children that need to be shared so yeah you know so the new can come up can stand up in it and uh how do you pick the stories?
2: I think the stories pick me. I don't think I pick. Mm-hmm. I don't think I pick the stories. I think the stories pick me. Um, but I'm very specific about the stories that I want to tell and the work that I, the type of work that I want to produce. Mm-hmm. I want to produce work about Black women, um, in particular Black mothers, in particular Black mothers who are located in the South. You know, that's a very specific thing. Um, And it's because, you know, those were the people who had the most impact on my life. I think that those are the most, for me, complex and intricate um, stories that, you know, haven't really been fully explored or lifted off the page. I would say, and so those things chose me because I think that if you would have asked me um, when I was eighteen years old what kind of stories I would want to tell, um, I don't think I would have known. I just been like, you know, I just want to act. I just, I just want to act. I just want to be in something. I just want to act. You know, if you would have asked me when I was twenty-one, I would have been like, oh, I want to tell stories about black people, you know. And so it's like the more you learn or grow deeper within yourself the more uh exact you get about the kind of stories that you want to tell and those and those stories begin to I think come to you and you don't go out like I I don't um I don't think I go out like looking for a story to tell like oh what's your stories should I tell next like like there are a million of them like in my head, you know. The one story that I would love for someone to do yeah. is um, Flojo. I would love for somebody to do Florence brave container. enough to do it. I mean, because you know, like Flojo and Fanny Lou Hamer. Um I mean, like what she brought to track man with those long nails and those outfits, it was like I want to, I wanna run track too. Yeah, I can't, I can't run a I can't run a hundred meters, but I want to run track. I want that outfit. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. she, I I love I love athletes that that transform a sport. Right? Like she transformed it athletically because you know she became the fastest woman in the world. But then she also became like she was no longer Florence Griffith Joyner. She was like FloJo. Like she had yeah. she she had a nickname. Um, and I don't think that there were a lot of. Um, women female athletes at that time that had nicknames um and she she changed it with style you know yeah, what i mean and so, yeah and so it was like i love people who can come into any in into their thing into their genre and transform it on so many levels like when i think about serena and venus you know, I think like, oh, they brought color to tennis. Not just in terms of like their blackness, but in terms of like their outfits, yeah. how They're they showed up, mean, like their and hair.
1: And, and, and question yeah. about what they are wearing. I'm just like...
2: Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, oh, what's Serena gonna wear? What's Serena yeah. gonna wear for the next tournament? Oh, look at her outfit, look at the outfit! You know what I mean? Or like her nails. I remember she um had a necklace on and the diamonds fell out on the court and she started looking for the diamonds. I was like, you know what, Serena? You know what? <laughs> They're not ready for you, Serena. Cause I'm not ready for you, Serena. Yeah. You know, you you hold it up the tennis match looking for your diamonds. But, you know, like I love people who can who can do that because you know, they push the sport. You know what I'm saying? And I love people who can push, you know, their genres. Um, so yes, yeah, so I would love for someone to tell the story of Flojo. I, I think the same thing with Fannie Lou Hamer. Like she pushed her political party, you know? Um, and and transformed it. You know what I'm saying? And Black women who looked like her, sounded like her, were from where she was from. Like, that's what my grandma sounded like. That's what my aunt sounded like, you know, yeah. weren't listened to, were silenced, or their voice wasn't valued. And she, like, she transformed that, you know? So I would love for those two stories to be told, for sure.
1: Hopefully,
2: hopefully that happened. Yeah. I mean, I got a million, like like, I can look at a movie. Like, when I look at Black Panther, there's a story in Black Panther that I'm like, going to write that story or when I look at um, when I look at Creed yeah. uh, the movie Creed I'm like uh, there's a Creed 3 that
1: I need to write like I can I never felt like they dug deep enough in Creed like, I felt like I, I felt like in the
2: first one, they did. I felt like in the second one, I'm like, oh, man. They rushed it. Oh, yeah, I felt like, oh, y'all missed some stuff. <laughs> it was some stuff y'all could have did. And y'all kind of, because I felt like in the first one, I felt like he didn't take the easy way. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Coogler wrote the first one. He didn't write the second one. And I felt like he didn't take the easy way in Creed. And Creed is such a perfect movie on like so many on shot wise um like I love movies where nothing is wasted like shots dialogue music. like there there's music there's like a through line with um there's a through line with with the with the scenes that they choose like doorways and the way that they shoot close ups like lying on the floor like like, he has a through line in his shot selection. You know what I mean? Or, like, these long... Um, these long shots with no cuts that remind me of Alfred uh, Hitchcock. Like, it's, it's like, a great movie. And I I felt like in part two, I was like, oh, let me write a script. I'm trying to get it around cooler right quick. This was number three. Right. You know? But, yeah, I, I didn't feel it went deep enough. But... I felt, I, I love Black Panther. There's just a story there that I think, um, that I saw, that I told a friend about, and she was like, yeah, man, yeah, that's that's it, that's it. And I was like, yeah. But that's, <coughs> it's actually a treatment for that on my computer. And I'm like, okay, uh, this is going to get to him somehow. But yeah. So you
1: like to um, hear about people's stories. You like absolutely. To- You like to write stories. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of you that likes to be within the story and that is you being a doula. Talk to us about you being a doula. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Like like to be within the story. I never
2: thought about that. I like that. Um, (laughs) Because doula work for me is like being in the midst of one of the most powerful Transformative creative experiences mm-hmm. that that is that takes place that like, um, it's like pure creativity because the person controlling that whole experience has never lived, mm. has never existed, yeah, you know, like, and and we're you know, I it's interesting, I think that we try to know so much about that person in the womb and like, what are they doing? What are they thinking? What's going on with them? We gotta know, we gotta know, we gotta know. And still, we've only touched the surface. Like still, we we still can't get it exact. You know what I'm saying? Um, Because every person is in there in a different way for a different reason, for a different purpose and will uh, come through the womb. Uh, or not, um, in their own time, in their own way, and so it's just like pure creative energy. Um, and so I hold that I, I as as a doula, like to be in that space is to just feel pure creative energy, and I think that's what I search for in my work too, like that 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 rawness that. Um, I I don't know another way but it's like just the sheer and uncut and pure um, creative energy where you are trusting what's being, what's happening and what's being created that no matter what the outcome is um, you're trusting you know the process, so you know that's how I approach my work as a doula when I'm in the birth room. And for me, I think being in the birth room is my gift. I think every doula has a certain aspect that, like the that that, that that's that that thing. Like, oh no, I I I do that shit good. Like that, yeah. <laughs> You know. And so, being in the birth room is it for me. You know, like, like, I feel like that's where I shine um, as a doula. And I got into the work because my birth experiences were very traumatic and disconnected me from my body. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the work to make sure that black birth persons stay in connection with and align with their bodies throughout pregnancy, labor, and postpartum um, so that they can experience that sheer creative force and energy and hopefully it can like um, catapult them and and not and hopefully it can be a, a place that, hopefully it can be a, a catalyst to expand their being and not contract their being. Because so many times when we think about motherhood, we think of it as a contracted experience for the mother. Like, I can't do this anymore and my life has changed. And so I think that as a doula, I have the opportunity to say, yes, your life is transformed for sure. No doubt. No doubt. But this is an opportunity to look at it as a creative expansion and what these things can add to your life instead of what it can take away from your life. And even though I know that the current system we live in is not set up for motherhood in that way, mm-hmm. I think that we have to do all we can as birth workers and as mothers to push back against that so that we can transform the way we see, talk about, and relate um, to motherhood. Mm-hmm.
1: I hope that makes sense. Wait, that perfect sense, especially... Okay. For me, where I've had my own two different experiences of um, giving birth and carrying a child, and you know, things are different, you feel different, and then you too. Yeah, once you come out, once your baby comes out, and now it's like, you know, the doctor said this, and this is the child, and it's all about, okay, let me meet you this is our introduction we're gonna learn each other and yeah it's it's like uh I don't know you I don't I've never felt like I could explain what it is to have a child that you help create and and raise a child and discover that your child is a part of you but they are not you yeah to have someone supportive like a doula along the way I've never had a doula I've always you know had an OBG went to the hospital uh-huh. the Navy. but um, that that's I, hu- that's huge and, and
2: I tell my birth persons that from the beginning you know I, I always say like you know this is a this is a collective experience mm-hmm. like you know you're not necessarily you're in charge of your body and the child is in charge of their birth yes So, you know, the contractions, the pain, uh, is the child speaking to you, your breathing, your positioning is you speaking back to the child. And so it's a communication. It's a two way thing. You're learning, okay, this is what works for like, like, like from, like from jump, from jump, from the time you're pregnant, um, this is why it's so important, I think, to stay in alignment with your body and to be connected to your body throughout birth is because it's sort of, it is sort of a metaphor for parenthood because from jump, you're learning and you're figuring out what works for this child in womb. Like you ate something, the kid don't like that, it's probably coming back up. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like you have a craving for something or you don't have a craving for something, you know, like you're learning then, you know, the way that you position your body, you know, oh, the child likes this, when you speak to it, when you sing to it, how is the child reacting? So take that as a metaphor for parenthood, like you're in charge of your body, but your child is in charge of the birth. So in parenthood, you're the guide, you're support, you're the support and it's still a two way relationship because you're learning what works for this child, uh, in order to guide them, um, through life, you know? And I don't, and even in birth I, I, you know, or, or when my birth persons are pregnant and they are talking about what they eat and they're walking and the movement. And it's like, did I do good? And I'm always like, it's not good or bad. It's all learning. It's not good or bad. It's all learning. And because I want them to get that judgment out of their head as soon as possible, because I don't want that judgment to invade their parenting. Like, you know, if I, if my child does this, I'm a bad parent. Well, if my child does this, what is the lesson that I'm supposed to learn here? What is the lesson that I'm supposed to learn? And what is the lesson that my child is supposed to learn? Because, No one comes into this world perfect. So it's supposed to be all about getting it, getting better. And like, none of us have the answers, right? It's always about getting better. And so that's the thing that I want my birth persons to learn in pregnancy. I want them to take that with them into labor. And I want them to take that with them into parenting because I don't want them to begin to judge their parenting based on whether or not their child does something good or bad, right? Because it's like when the child does something good, it's like, oh, that's me, look at me, look at me. I'm the parent, that's my baby, I'm the parent, that's my baby, look at me, you know? But when the child does something bad, it's like, I don't know who raised them, I don't know where they got that from, you know? And it's like, you can't have it both ways, you know what I'm saying? So I don't attach my worth or my value as a parent to whether or not my children do good or bad. I attach my worth and my value as a parent as to I show up in good times and bad times and say what did we learn? Where are we now? What should we celebrate? What should we learn? How do we grow? How do we expand? That that's what I'm doing in every moment of their life and not just and and not taking credit, you know, because my mom will tell you crystal is an artist that i don't know where she got that from i didn't promote that in my house in any way shape or form we weren't an artistic household we didn't go to theaters like we didn't do that i didn't even really my mom never even took me to the movies so she's like but she never got in the way of it Mm -hmm. and she even she to this day if you ask her what i do she'll be like i don't know she does a lot of stuff, but she never gets in the way of it. And she's always looking for ways to support me. And so she doesn't take credit for my success as an artist, but she's always there for me. And so that's, that's what I take into my doula work and I try to give to my birth persons.
1: Hmm. So with being a doula and um, you're there to support the mother, when there are fathers in the room, on husbands, how, what would you say, or what would you recommend as them also being the, a part of the support um, that you would like to see more in the birthing, you know? Well, no matter
2: who's in the room, if it's a, if it's a father, if it's an, uh, just a, a partner or a, a, a relative, um, before we go into the room, my questions are always, who do you want in the room and what's their role? Because, you know, if there's something who you want, someone who you want to be your birth partner, then I work with that person to say, okay. so as a birth partner, this is what you do. This is how you can support positions. This is how you can support breathing. And then I become a birth advocate. Right. So I'm remembering all the things that you said you I'm I'm remembering what what type of birth experience you said you wanted and making sure that I'm holding space for that birth experience and I'm advocating for that birth experience. And then I let, if there's another relative, a partner or whoever else is in the room that you want to bond with, during that a birth person wants to bond with during that time, then I have coached them in terms of being that support and being that that partner. Hmm. I'm always like, you know, if 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 everybody knows their roles going in, we got a team. We got a squad. We can do. Yeah, this. that's how. You know what I'm saying. So, so I, I'm I, yeah, I'm not territorial with that. I'm like, oh, okay, you want you okay, you want your partner in the room. You want your mom in the room. Your cousin in the room. Okay, let's go. So, what do we want to do so that <clears throat> we're all working together mm-hmm. once we um, get in there to create this beautiful, creative, transformative experience.
1: So with all that you do, when did you feel, or when
2: did you know inside that you were great at what you do? Right, when would you say um, you Um, you know, I think that I've, you know, I, get, I don't, you know, I've always known that I was a great writer. I'm not exactly sure when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um... Knowing that I was great wasn't the issue for me. Consistency was. Uh And that was attached to whether or not I was worthy of the greatness that I held. So, like, I've always known that I was a great writer. But it's like, did I feel that I was worthy of the gift? So I would kind of, like, make it smaller or not be consistent with it or not show up big Um, with my writing because it was always you know do I like why me like do I deserve this gift you know what I mean so I don't think that I ever struggled with um, whether or not I was good at something because even if I'm not good at something I can I'm very self motivated and I can teach myself like I taught myself how to podcast. I knew nothing about podcasting and I taught myself how to do it. And so I know that I can become great at something and that there are things that are gifts to me that I'm just great at. It's just walking in the worthiness of it. You know what I mean? Like we just released an episode where we interviewed Domaine Davis and she, uh, directed and was the directing producer for Queen Sugar, directed How to Get Away with Murder. She's the uh, producing director for Self Made, the uh, Inspired by the Life of Madam C.J. Walker, which is dropping on Netflix, and we mm-hmm. interviewed her. And the whole time, I was like, why'd she pick our podcast? Like, you know, we just this little old podcast. Like, instead of being us? in it. Right, you know, instead of being in it, like, I mean, yeah. she could have, like, been on the read. Like, why'd she pick us? You know? And I mean, I... You know, I did like reach out to her, you know, through a tweet and everything, instead of just like being in it and being like, Why would she pick you? Y'all lit. Like, why yeah. would she pick you? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Or like, um, you know, like you know, I see podcasts that have like ten thousand downloads, you know, an episode. And you know, we have like twenty five downloads. We we release two uh two episodes a month and we have uh 2,500 downloads. And I'm like, yeah, we got 2,500 downloads. And then I see something that's like, oh, most podcasts only have 157 downloads. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, like not like accepting, like knowing that, like I know our podcast is good and the, and I know I'm good at producing a podcast. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't be surprised when great things happen to the podcast And because I am, you know, I was going to post like, I can't believe we interviewed Domaine Davis. And then I'm like, no, I can believe it. I worked hard. Yeah, I shot my shot. And I'm good at what I do. And so it's not the being great at something that is, or arriving that, hey, I'm good at something. That's been an issue for me. The issue for me has been accepting that I deserve the greatness that I've you know that I have you know that's been the struggle for me
1: and it's not it's not far-fetched because for most creatives um it's like we want to do what we want to do but then when people shine the light on what you did it's kind of like don't worry about it it's not a big deal but to people who can't grasp or can't develop the bigger picture it
2: is I have a I have an easier time when other people shine the light on it. Mm, but you don't like if to... so, yeah. If someone else says, "Oh, this podcast is lit. This podcast is great," I'm like, "Oh, thank you. I can accept sort of that with gratitude." Yeah. But walking in that myself, like saying to myself, "No, we got a lit podcasts. Yeah. Oh, our podcast. Oh, I know why you listen because it's good." Yeah. Like I like like at, you know, I don't want to say being. Like, you know, there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence, you know what I'm saying? But just what, um, speaking that greatness myself Mm -hmm. is really, really hard. You know, like I can say I'm a good writer, but then when I, when something gets an, when, when something good comes of that writing, it's like, oh, wow, I I can't believe like they chose my writing. And it's like, wow, that was a good <laughs> poem. Yeah. That's a good poem. Why can't you believe they chose it? Right. You know what I mean? So it's it's hard for me to say this is I'm so proud of this poem this is such a great poem mm-hmm. and this was the reward that I got from it now if somebody else says it's a great poem I'm like oh thank you so much right. you know but it's like <laughs> claiming it yourself like yeah this this this, you know this podcast is hot y'all y'all on to something right here
1: yeah I mean you know? I and I I have that sometimes where I don't want to tell people uh this is the thought. This is what you should think. Yeah, I want people to tell me their thoughts. I right? Want to be... Like,
2: yes. Yeah. Like, like for so long. For and people, when I tell people this, they're like, Crystal, that's so crazy. I wouldn't share the podcast on my personal Facebook page because I'm be like, uh, oh, you know, I don't want people to, you know, think I'm like bragging on my back. Like, it was just so. It makes no sense. Like no. logically, right. it makes. No, absolutely no sense. Yeah. But I just wouldn't share the episodes because I'd be like, well, if it's that great, people will discover it and people will find it. It's like, bitch, what? People like, are lazy. are you talking about? put
1: it in their face. <laughs> you have and a whole,
2: like you, like we live in an age where we don't have to go through a distributor. You can get no. distracted the people. You know what I'm saying? You can Beyonce say this shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, we get straight to the people. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm just, it's it's like um, someone when I was in LA, someone was like, oh, you're waiting to be um picked from the, you're waiting for someone to pick you from a, obscurity and say, look at this genius. And <laughs> he was like, that ain't how Hollywood work, boo. You gotta go out and get this. And yeah. like, but so many stories that I would hear like, cause I, I like behind the scenes stories is, you know, I would hear of people like, Oh, I got discovered on Instagram or, Oh, I just happened to be in this place and I met such and such. And, um, <clears throat> when I told him that he was like, but why were they in that place? in in the first place, cause I knew that was the place to go. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's why I'm really honest about like, the work that it takes and that the success of our podcast is not overnight. It's like real work. Cause I don't want people to go into anything that I do and think like they're going to be an overnight success or someone is going to pluck you out of obscurity. Like it is, it is work. Yes. It is, it, 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 it really is work. And I had to like really wrap my mind around that because then I was more comfortable with like, no, you have to share with people what you're doing so that people can know, so they can support you. Mm-hmm. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't share, and then you're like, well, people never show up for me. Well, you ain't told nobody what was going on. You ain't tell nobody it was a party. So nobody came, like, you know what I'm saying? So it was just crazy that I wouldn't share this great thing that I've worked so hard on and it takes so much of my time i was like ah, i'm not going to share it i'm just going to you know people people just will discover it and it's like that's so crazy like these people want to support you you know so why wouldn't you show them you know what you're doing or share what you're doing and i and it's honestly cuz i felt like well if it's that great then someone will discover it and it's no, like, it,
1: no. you never know what you're doing or what you yeah do that opens up a window or a connection for right now so if you're close with it it's kind of like yeah blocking all of those connections so
2: but but that was that that was that thing of like being mm-hmm. afraid to walk in my own greatness like I was fine if other people shared the podcast and said it was great yeah. but walking in my own greatness is me sharing the podcast and saying mm-hmm. it's great mm-hmm. you know so yeah.
1: So talk to, well, talk to us about the podcast. Like, how did you start the podcast? Why did you start it? And who are the other women? Okay.
2: So the podcast started um, fall, like late, like like December 2016. We don't even say December 2016. We say basically 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like a year and a half, um, I have been in this mom group. And I thought it was, we just had these great discussions. And I was like, God, this, this should be a podcast, man. We have some great discussions in here. Yeah. And so I talked to my two dearest friends, um, D.M.O. Monier and Nikisha Killings, about, um, you know, doing a podcast. And they're like, yeah, sure. Okay, figure it out. We'll do it. We'll do it. So I was researching it and figuring out how to do it. And I was like, okay, we should like launch in... 2017, like mid late 2017, we should launch like after we figure this out, and they were like, okay, sure, we'll do it. And then 45 got elected, and they was like, we need a podcast because we got That's something that sucks. Some shit to say. Are you telling me 50 over 50 percent of white women voted for this? What? No, we got some shit to say. Um. And so, so we started the podcast and our first episode, um, was about our reaction to the 2016 election. And we didn't even really have, I mean, we knew that we weren't just going to talk about politics, but it was basically like, um, I don't even remember what our first description was because it's so different from what it's like. It's so exact now I can't even remember what the first one was all I know is like it had black mama magic in it because we came up with that term based on black girl magic and we asked the woman who created black girl magic if we could like if we could you know use the term black mama magic and how she felt about it just to be respectful of what she created and she was all for it and um and that's all I remember that we had black mama magic in it and we wanted to use the podcast to um, show our work and see, now it totally doesn't even make sense that I would share it on my personal Facebook page. Cause the purpose was to use our podcast to promote the personal creative work that we were doing, like our own creative work. So it's crazy that I wouldn't share it on my personal page. But anyway, but um, that's why it started we wanted to make sure that people um, knew what where they were listening to because I, I firmly believe like black people want to know what they're getting into up front and I go see all types of theaters and I I go see all types of theater and I watch all types of movies and so you know if there's a movie called you know Tyrone cheated on me I know what I'm getting into if there's a play called you know my man ain't right I know what I'm getting into you know what I'm saying and I can decide for myself whether or not I want to take my time and spend my money on that right and you know I just wanted it to be quick and to the point like this is who you know podcasts are very exact like this is who this is for and so we for sure wanted it to say black mamas like this is for black mamas um, so we wanted that in the title. And then that was an argument over the, what are we going to call it? The Black Mamas, um, or we, there, was a, there was an argument over that. There was a debate, not an argument, a debate. Yeah. And so I was like, as a nod to African-American vernacular, how There's Black no. people... You know what I'm saying? How black people can create their cult, how black people can create culture, like bend culture, shift, bend and fold culture and make our own culture. And we've created a whole dialect that people pillage off of and use. And so I wanted to do a nod to that and also to say that this is not through the white gaze. This is not through the white lens. And I felt like that would be a nod to that. So I wanted to call it Duh black mamas and Thea Monier was like that's so 90s people gonna you know be like who are these old oh, chicks because that's so 90s yeah. and and Nikesha was just not having it at all Nikisha was just like oh my god I just don't think we should be saying duh and so <laughs> I was like I want people to know that this is black as fuck like that's what I want people to know and I and I want to I really want to people to understand that this is not through the white gaze, and I want them to get that from jump. And so Thea was like, dim. And I was like, yeah. Nikisha was like, no. And so we were like, okay, Nikisha, you got another title. And she's like, well, I can't come up with anything for now. So temporarily we can be called dim black mamas. And so it just stuck, people got it, people loved it. Every once in a while we get someone who's like, oh, does that stand for Democrat? And we're like, no, it's a nod to African-American vernacular to our ancestors. And to say this ain't for white people and we ain't looking through the white lens at what we do is for us, by us, and about us. So, and that's how we got started. And now from there, we do talk about politics, but not in a obsessive way, but in a way that says we talk about the politics of black culture and how can, like, analyzing it to see how we can push the culture forward, how we need to evolve, shift, and heal, and use creativity and joy as a way to do those things. Mm.
1: So if somebody was like, um, I'm looking for a podcast to listen to, what would you say the jits of your, your show is with the different episodes and everything? We answer all the questions that your
2: mama won't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we answer all the questions, talk about all the things that your mama won't and don't, at least not in front of you. Uh And we're three black creatives raising free children in an unfree world while chasing our creative dreams. So if you're creative, if you're interested in liberation, not just for yourself, but for your children. Mm -hmm. um, And if you want it raw and real, then we're the podcast to listen to. The other thing that I would say is we don't focus on the children. I think that a lot of podcasts about mothers are, or a lot of podcasts that's, that uh, center mothers, focus on the children and not on the mother's experience. Mm-hmm. We are really, really focused on our experience as mothers, as, mother, as Black Mama Creatives as well, because for me, I feel like I can only talk about what my experience is like as a mother and what my children are experiencing in relationship mm-hmm. with me is their story to tell. And I don't wanna co opt that story. Right. And so I think that's what sets us apart is that we do talk about we do talk about our children, but we don't speak for them. We speak our own experience and how motherhood is how motherhood is shaping our experience in this world as black mothers
1: and as black creatives. I like that. You know, I listen to the episode and when I hear some things while I'm driving I'll screenshot it. I'll share it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if people are scared to know. I don't know if people are scared to find out. I don't know if people are scared to identify with, oh, I've I done that too, or I experienced that Yeah. Too. The information is out here, and as long as creatives are willing to share it, I feel like the answers are in our ears, you know, ready to listen, so I just try to mm-hmm. share whatever I come across as really good. Um, For you, how would you describe motherhood in like two words?
2: Oh, greatest teacher. Greatest teacher by far. Yeah. I, I don't know. I always say, I don't know if my children will be my greatest accomplishment or the greatest thing I ever do. I don't know about that. But they are by far far my greatest teachers I've learned so much about myself from my children I've learned just so much in general about life um by becoming a mother I've evolved and expanded in so many ways um by becoming a mother and I mean I know that's not everybody's journey in terms of learning but but um but for me they've been my greatest teachers for sure what motivates you the most? I'm, I am really very self-motivated. I'm highly, highly, highly self-motivated. So I have a, a huge drive for um, innovation. Um, so doing things in a different way or doing something that, no one's ever done before is is really what motivates
1: me. Innovation. I like that too. That's why I'm have you ever heard of a um, website called stubble upon? Yeah, I've heard
2: of that. I've heard of that. I've heard of that. That's a cool see like that's such a cool idea. I love something. Yeah, it's like give
1: me something new. Give me something new. And you always like I always want to share the newness that I find. Some people get it
2: Yeah. Like, even starting this podcast, I when we started it and I wanted to focus on mothers, it just seemed so obvious to me like, oh, we'll do a podcast, we're all mothers, we'll do a podcast about black moms. And when we started, there, I found one podcast about black motherhood and it was Marta Mia. And I don't even know if she's a mother or not, but hers was about black motherhood. And but it only had like a couple of episodes, so I was really surprised. I was like, what? I discovered this new niche? Like nobody's doing this? What? Um, and so that was really motivating for me to start it because I was like, this is innovative. Like nobody's nobody's doing this. And like, since then, there's so many more now, which I'm so grateful for, because you know, we're not a monolith and everybody's not gonna talk about it um, the way that we talk about it for sure. So I'm excited about that. good,
1: good, good. Can you shout out three women on their greatness uh, doing great things out here, um, and they're giving their website or their IG just to share them with the world and listeners. So,
2: of course, um, my co-host, uh, Nikisha Killings, is one of my co-hosts. Um, her website is NikishaKillings.com N-E-K-I-S-H-A, killings, K-I-L-L-I-N-G-S, uh, dot com, n e k i s h a killings k i l l i n g s dot com, um, and. She is just a breastfeeding boob guru, like historically looking into the future skin wise in terms of breastfeeding, um, like if, if physically the impact that it has on our community, the impact that it can have on future generations, um, the shifts in breastfeeding, like she's just an expert on it. She, to me, she's, um. She's an expert in the field. She's an authority in the field. And so I want to definitely shout her out. And she uh, has a, um, a a consulting um, sort of business where if you want to become um, an internationally certified lactation consultant, um, they can guide you through that process. It's called Nikki and Nikki Career. Um, lactation consultants. And I think that's great because we need more of us helping us through the journey um, of breastfeeding. Um, so Nikisha, and she also has Cubs Cafe, which is a virtual, it's a Facebook group um, for um, moms of color who can get support. And she has meetings once a month in LA as well. Um, her Instagram is rapstarlactivist. So that's W-R-A-P-S-T-A-R underscore Lactivist. So you can hit her up on um, Instagram. And there's also uh, Nikki and Nikki Lactation Career Consultants. And my other co-host, Thea Monye. Um, she's at Thea Monier. Uh, T-H-E-A-M-O-N-Y-E-E. Um, across all social media platforms. Um, And Thea is, both of them are writers, creatives. Thea is also a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, She's doing big things right now. She was on OWN, on Family Our Fiance. She's been on Fox Soul uh, with Dr. Sean on The Sevens talking about joy, pleasure um, as a way of liberation. and she has some other stuff coming down the pike, but like they're doing great things and they're doing big things. Um, and her website is theamoye.com. Oh, and she also just did a, she's a GoDaddy maker. And so she's been doing like this whole campaign with GoDaddy. Um, yeah, so she's, so they're doing amazing things. And then I have to give a shout out to my coach uh, who's helping me through my journey and helping me walk in my worthiness and embrace it fully. Um, Precious Bibbings. And uh, she's at Hello Coach P, P is in Paul. Hello Coach P on Facebook, and she is just she always uses the word supercalifragilisticexpialidocious to describe other things. So that's how I want to describe her because yes. she's amazing. You know, she holds my feet to the fire. She pushes me. Um, she helps me expand, and so she's just a great, great coach um, for me. And she has a Facebook group called Mash Collective and MASH stands for, I love this make amazing shit happen so (laughs) she has that on Facebook MASH Collective Um, and her name is Precious Bibbings. so those are the three women in my life who are um, helping me go deeper so that I can live a higher life and pushing
1: me to expand I love it I love to share it I hope everyone checks those
2: women out yeah and I'll send you the information so you can put it in the
1: show notes things uh, what would you like to see for women um in the next five years happen that's
2: on a positive tip. oh gosh what would I like to see for you know um for black women that's all I can really speak for mm-hmm. um I want us to continue doing what we're doing in terms of creating in terms of um making our own lanes uh that's what I want to see us doing I mean right now it's the best of times the worst of times you know um yeah it's the best of times and it's the worst of times I think creatively artistically and and just watching us carve out our own paths um is amazing to watch um But, you know, it's the worst of times in a lot of other ways in terms of systemic and institutional oppression. Um, So I would like to see us continue to create our own paths, create things for us, by us. And also there's this whole movement of reclaiming joy, reclaiming pleasure um, as an aspect of liberation as well. Uh, healing, uh, all of those things, um, and not in some fluffy frou frou way, but in like real concrete, um, in real in real concrete, tangible uh, ways. So that's what I like to see us continue to do. Or, you know, um, in five years. You know, I would like to see a black woman have her her own studio. You know, that'd be great. Like on
1: a like on a
2: Perry tip. I, I don't know if I would, You know, I mean, his studio is ginormous. I don't even know if it. I mean, it's, it's ginormous near me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's ginormous. I don't even know if it has to be that big, but I just know I would love to see us have. A space, you know, like that. Yeah. Like a um a woman's school of creatives. I would like to see that. Yeah, I think Ava's on her way. I think Ava's on her way for sure.
1: She didn't think for so sure. project. Yeah, for Ooh, sure. She's in it. I know it's gonna be good. Um Yeah, I, I
2: yeah. I, I think Ava's definitely on her way to that. Like, well, what is your favorite quote? oh um after civilizations fall art remains to tell the story
1: that is all fact yeah right yeah I think now we have the information and we fight to say what is truth, because people still try to overcast things yeah. so
2: yeah but I mean you know when I, when I think about like um you know cause all empires fall mm-hmm. no doubt um But, like, when I think about the pyramids, right, and how, you know, people think of hieroglyphics as, like, mathematic, but I think of it as, like, it's, it's all, it's, it's like science, math in an artistic form, because it tell, like, those things tell a story, those hieroglyphics tell a story. And so, that civilization is long gone but there's something there to tell the story that we're still trying to learn from that we still can't figure f- fully figure out you know I think that that's um, you know I think that's beautiful
1: yeah history and art have always been like go yeah. to subject and um I remember I
2: mean, learning about Pompeii ah uh, what? Yeah. and you know when 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 dictatorships be- begin, the first people they come for are the artist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They come for the artist. If you look at South Africa, you know, they came for the artist. Mm-hmm. So I-, I think about that a lot in terms of like what I'm creating. And you know, they get rid of the books. Get like yeah. into certain books, and certain books are banned, you know, because so like I know people
1: don't. Once you see it one right. way, you can't unsee it,
2: right? And you know, I mean, that is the way that we. That's a very powerful way to interpret the world. I mean, if you look at *Beloved*, I mean, I knew about enslavement, I understood it, but *Beloved* tells the story of enslavement. Like mm-hmm. this thing was so cruel that this woman would rather her children die she'd rather murder her not even that her children die but she'd rather murder them Mm -hmm. than to see them go through it like it was it was so insidious that it was easier to set them free through murder than to set them free by running away I mean you know like that's you know, a history book can tell me people was on the auction block and all that, but that tells me, like, mm-hmm. that's cruelty on a whole. When you can bring someone to that, that's cruelty
1: on a whole another level. Yeah. I
2: agree.
1: So where can the people find you? Tell those people how to find you. Um, So
2: people can find me um, at Crystal Tenille Irby on Instagram. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L t-e-n-n-i-l-l-e-i-r-b as in boy y at crystal teniel erby on instagram at crystal t erby on um twitter and for the podcast is at dim black mamas on all social media platforms and um my personal website is crystal and um our podcast website is dimblackmamas.com. Love it. You did have one question that I I did want to answer. It was, um, Oh, something about the four things.
1: What are the four things that make you um, feel like your ultimate woman? Yeah. Are you still
2: doing those? Come on. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the four things that make me feel like the ultimate woman, um, number one is meditating because um I have a resistant spirit and so (laughs) I feel like meditating really puts me in alignment um with like my core self and my core being and when I'm functioning in that alignment I don't feel like I'm chasing my dreams I feel like I'm catching my dreams um and I'm and it makes me really focus on the work that I want to do which is center um black women and black mothers so meditating is important to me dancing because that puts me in touch with all of my body parts and it's like Saturday that's what
1: we're doing here you know what I
2: mean so it's like oh these hips can move these (laughs) knees ain't so old you know what I'm saying so that for sure um it just reminds me that my body just my body can just work together in so many different ways so I love dancing um definitely creativity because creativity helps me explore and discover so much about myself. Like when I'm writing, when we're doing the podcast, when I'm directing, um, it, though, it, it really just helps me discover and expand. Um, and so I learn more about myself as a black woman, um, and as a Black mother creative, I learn more about myself through, cre- through creativity historically, about who I am, and I can imagine uh, futuristically uh, what generations of people like me will be like. Um, and the last one is my C-section scar. So every day I put... Um, Um, frankincense and myrrh on my c-section scar because for so long i resented it Mm -hmm. and now it's sort of like i cherish it and take care of it and i want to lift the vibration of that space on my body and take the resentment away um and it's proof that this body showed up for me and it continues to show up for me each and every day even though you know my births didn't happen the way that i wanted it to happen my body my, my body still showed up my body still gave um yeah my body still gave something so those are the four things
1: i like that because a lot of women after they go through uh labor they feel like their body is supposed to be like what they see on tv or what they see in magazines and that's your body that yeah. create a child and bring yeah. a child here. And it's like, you should
2: love it. I love that. You should love it. You should honor it. You should hold it. Give it space, you know. uh, Yeah. Make amends with it, you know. That's what the frankincense and myrrh are for me. Like, it's making amends with my body. I
1: love it. Well, thank you for doing this episode with Cozy Womb. Thank you for
2: calling me back. Thank you for having me back. You know, I wanted to do it so bad because I'm like, oh, I love the name Cozy Womb. I just want to be on it. I just want to be on it. Yeah, I love it. And um, this is my first. Bye. Bye.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive.